Hello and welcome to Art for the People podcast where we engage Nigerian and African artists in conversation about their works and ideas. I'm your host, Mulara Wood. My guest on this episode is Bruce Onobrakpea, master printmaker, major figure of the Zaria Art Society, and one of the most significant artists Africa has produced. Professor Onobrakpea sits down with Art for the People as he attains the age of 89 and tells us he is still fired up about art. Welcome to Art for the People podcast. Thank you. It's lovely to see you in this uh, great space that you have created over the years. And it's an even bigger space now with different sections. And you were saying something just before we started rolling yeah. about the space to an artist. Can you say something about your use of space, even in your immediate environment? I want to thank you, Abolara Wood, for your constant presence in my artistic life. I want to also thank you especially for being present during the symposium at the Atwood One. Now, commenting on space, space is very, very important for the artist. You know, the space controls what you create. And the more space you have, the more freedom you have to create. And so when we had this, uh, we had the opportunity to acquire this part of our uh, building just next to our first uh, studio here. Yes. I, I grabbed it and uh, we've done very well working here. Yeah, so that's it. Thank you. I mean, it's it's humbling, okay. uh, sir. You're thanking me. <laughs> uh, it's always a privilege, a great privilege to be in your presence. I first actually saw you in the flesh at the Urobo Historical Conference okay. at Kingston University, sorry, England, in yes. 2003. And everyone there was calling you any elephant. Any, <laughs> <laughs> okay, elephant. And that made such a big impression on me and every opportunity to interact with you ever since. And there have been so many. Yeah. And you're ever so gracious and accommodating and humble and willing to share of your art, your essence, and your wisdom. And so we're grateful and uh, I'm really happy that you're in fine health as you approach your 89th birthday. How, how are you feeling going towards that? Well, uh, we thank God for it. To really live long is in the hands of God. We should be grateful for every moment we have. And when I say thank God, I really mean that uh, we should use our time very well and ask that it gives us more. And you remain energetic and, uh, you know, working every day on your art. We'll pray for that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll pray for that. Returning to what you were saying about space. Yes. Now, for someone who works with a lot of engines, car parts, ETC, ETC, I'm turning my mind to location now. Does it help to not be very far from the famous Ladipo market for someone working with the kind of materials that you're working with quite often in creating your art? Well, um, if 
I'm not close to that market. Perhaps I can be close to other localities where something else is happening. It's not only the car part. There are other things that can really be collected, things that are discarded that can be collected to uh, help create at work. So um, my being here is a great advantage. But if I'm not here, I could be in another place where something else will come out. And it is for the artist to uh, really uh, be sensitive enough to seize whatever opportunity that comes around. In his environment. In his environment. And you're open to using whatever materials whatever material, yes. present themselves yes, to, your, to you. Yes, that's it. Yeah. You have this piece uh, behind you, yes. this uh, xerography, I think yes. it's called, and you did exhibit something of this nature yes. at your last exhibition, which yes. was at um, yes. Art 21 yes. uh, at the Co Hotel in Lagos. Yes. Uh, can you talk about? This medium piece and uh, oh, okay. what you want to say about it. Yeah. Um, now, what has happened is that uh, what you saw in Act Twenty One exhibition uh, is a different picture, but there are elements in that picture that are also present here. Particularly the lady that is wailing, the lady that is uh, 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 that appears to be in torture. What is missing from that other one? Is that the people? That is the uh, the people at the background. That is the the girls that were seized, uh, uh, that were seized uh, by the kidnappers. So this is about Chibok. Yeah, this is about Chibok. The Chibok girls are not represented in that picture. Okay. But um, the image of the woman or the young girl in torture that is here is like the one that is there. There was a question the other time about uh, me replicating myself, and, you know. So you see, now the same idea is examined. In the other one, in the other one, it's just the picture of the tormented young lady. But this time now, the Chibo girls are put in the background. So to be able to accomplish that, we use the xerograph technique. Which is uh, using the, the the camera and the computer to help the artist to create images and duplicate them and compose them. So it's uh, xerography. If uh, can be a kind of print, just use it to replicate one idea. But also it can be a, a kind of uh, trying to examine images for a better composition and for a better enjoyment. Mm -hmm. yeah. So almost like um, an extension of an idea mm, yes. already explored yes. in the previous version yes, of yes, the work, yes, yes, like yes, a yes. new chapter, yes, yes. Uh -huh. you, 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 adding you, new layers. You are seeking the optimum expression because I believe that uh, in every expression you make, there can always be a better way of expressing that image. So. There's a continuous search for that better way, and that's where xerography becomes very useful. Now, the point about duplicating yourself, have you received criticism about that? And if, if you have, what would be your response to people who say, but why duplicate your own work? No, um, 
they don't understand. It's really not duplicated. If one creates something that is similar to something else you have done before, one should examine the works, the two works, and see whether there's some difference. Now, in my case, when you use an image that has been used before, you try to find out a better way of presenting an idea that has come to you. There's just not one way, like uh, when yam was discovered, for instance. Let's take our local society. Okay. You know, the yam, you can prepare yam in very many ways. You can, you can pound it, you can fry it, uh, you can make it into a or whatever or you chips. want. chips. Chips and so on. So, so that is the same thing that the artist does. You, the artist, in his journey through life, discovers ideas, motifs, and then reworks them, re-examines them. It is this process of reworking and re-examination that creates similarities. But in those similarities, there's a new message in any particular work. You're 89 this year. How are you feeling? Are you as fired up about art as you've always been? <laughs> I thank God for taking me this far. And as I've always explained, what keeps an artist going is the inspiration which he gets from his environment. I continue to have those inspirations and so I continue to be fired up. Right now, I really feel that instead of just 24 hours in a day, if I could have 30 hours or 36 hours or 40 hours, it would be all right. Because there's really not enough time to express what I observe or what is born into to be born. You know, so that's it. That keeps me working all the time, keeps me thinking all the time. How have you been navigating life and art during the COVID-19 pandemic? And what impact has it had on your work, your processes, and so mm -hmm. on? But that's a long, long question. First of all, the pandemic is uh, a disaster, something that affects all the world. And so there's no question of saying that the, the pandemic is something that has brought uh, anything good. You know, in our environment here, we have people who are dear to us, who are lost through the pandemic scorch. Uh, so, so that is that. But um, we, the artists, or referring to myself now, the lockdown affects me, affects me in very many ways. Towards the tail end of, of uh, last year, when the pandemic was uh, actually very high in the, eye, in the air, I had an exhibition, and the turnout was very low. It's lower than what I normally have. And so it has affected me because uh, less people has had to see my show than it was before. So if, if there was no pandemic, I probably would have recorded more people. I probably would have asked school children to come in, market people, lawyers and all this to come in. Just one group going and the other one going. So the pandemic has affected that. The people who came were recused. Sometimes when they come like that, 
you know, they have to ask a few people to go to go in at the same time when those are feeling before the other ones come in. So that is how it has affected that. that so that, that negated the joy, your joy in sharing your work with as many exactly, people as possible. Exactly. Less people have seen the work. But um, you see, on the other hand, artists need time. And, and solitude. And they, yes, and the shutdown of many institutions at all prevents the artists from moving about unnecessarily. And so that affords the artist time to create, to think and to create. So that's, that's the only good part which I found with just the lockdown. You know, we're able to stay and then think and concentrate and, and all that. The other thing is that the pandemic, because of the inability to expose our wares, what we create, to a large audience uh, or a larger audience, the virtual, virtual images created a new venue for exposing our words. Okay. People are able to, uh, particularly the young ones, yeah. they are able to send their works out in space and people observe them. They even sell through that. I, I find your use of the word venue for yes. the online platform to yes. be very yes. interesting. Yes. Very yes. Yes. Because, because the new venue for sale of artwork and for reaching out a larger number of people. That is what the pandemic pandemic happened. So while we're considering the, the bad side, we also have to record that as something that is good for the artist. Uh, the, only, the only disadvantage there is that uh, the older artists are less able to use it than the younger ones who grow up just using their fingers to uh, send messages and receive messages and then uh, create things. So that, that is that, that is that about the pandemic. Yeah, I was going to ask about your uh, use of the online space. Yes. Uh, because I've been in a talk where you were yes. present and you even contributed yes. uh, on Zoom. Yes. And so I came here today wanting to actually ask you about how you've I mean, you're working with younger curators, okay, yes. working across generations, yes. and also uh, taking on board no. these new technologies. Yes, and yes. how has that been like? And well, uh, has it been challenging? It's, it's wonderful. Wonderful. Because uh, uh, before my last exhibition, we had several meetings. I had several meetings with the, the proprietor. And it was all online. One person was in Victoria Island. The curator, Kenny and I, yes. were in Papaja here. And then the, the proprietress of the place is, is London. So we're able to connect. We're able to connect and then have the, have the Zoom meeting. So that is going on now with the pandemic. So that is something that uh, was, had been there, but we didn't really discover it and use it until the pandemic came up. So again, that is one of the advantages of uh, what has come out of the pandemic period that we're passing through. Well, how did you find working with Kenny, Kenny Ekundayo? Oh, fantastic. 
I like working with her because uh, she is able to be patient with uh, older artists who may not be as clever as the younger ones, you know, <laughs> the, old, the older artists. So she's patient with them and works hard and draw a lot out of them. No, so because I just found this working together across such a wide yes, gulf, yes, yes, yes. generation-wise. Yes, I found that very, very it's, interesting it's, indeed. It's, 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 I, I enjoy that. And then she, she is an example of someone in the arts that is helping to grow. So with the exhibition that she curated, Facade, yes. yes. uh, you had an installation yes. there titled Reflections uh, on the COVID-19, yes. Reflections on COVID-19 Pandemic. Yes. Um, can you talk about that installation? Well, well, what, what moved you to create it and what you were trying well, to communicate? Well, the, the COVID thing is in the air. It's in the air. And it, it, makes, us, it, uh, it makes us think. Uh, in thinking, we want to reflect on what other uh, pandemic had appeared in the world before. And that took me back to about 30 million, million years ago when um, there is this recording about uh, Noah's Ark when about only eight people survived. So the pandemic had been there all the time. And then of course I I linked it to some animals, insects and so on, that have been there with us. I saw just through my own imagination I connected the cricket for instance to one of the animals that survived the flood. The flood. So the flood was a pandemic. It was a pandemic. It was I I, I call it a pandemic. Because something that will that will destroy and destroy the world, and only people, uh, only eight people, surviving, according to the biblical uh, recording. Account, yes. That is that is pandemic. But if you go back to recent history, um, hundred years, two hundred years, and so on, you go to. Europe and uh, even <coughs> even uh, something even, that affected yeah, us. Yeah, nineteen eighteen. Yeah, nineteen eighteen. You see, and it's it's, it's about another hundred years, and a yeah. great pandemic. You know, the great uh, and uh, but even before then, there was the the great plague. Yes, the the bubonic plague. Yes. Now and again, these pandemic come to the world, and so it, it makes us think that well. Well, is that is that a way of God trying to send a message to us? Is that a way of telling us that um, our world is uh, very fragile, and and that, and the world itself is something, according to the scientists, that may end. It's like well, we're in a, within a star. Will this will the light of that star go off any day? So this pandemic thing helps us to to reflect on those on those questions. But coming back home, there's one of the panels there that uh, seem to show uh, to, to convey an aggressive mood, which uh, reminds us or uh, reminds me 
of what normally happens when some big people, some people in the society, when 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 they pass on, there's usually a kind of uh, drama from the young people. Sometimes a very violent one. They destroy things like plants and so on, and they scare people out of the way. And it's it's an anger which comes out of that thing, uh, which is sometimes even expressed even in in um, in, in masquerades and so on, just to show, just to show and mourn the passing of someone loved or someone great in our society. Uh, so that 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 very one that very figure, that very motif, exactly that. Then there's the middle section. Yes. The one lying yes. down. The one lying down. Yeah. On like, the raised surface. Yes, yes, yes. It's a kind of a coffin. Yes. In European history, there are some coffins. The person will be inside it, but uh, the artist now decorate the outside mm-hmm. of that so that is what that one shows. But the one I created has some mystique around it. You find that there are hollows here, there are hollows there. And all that tend to give the impression that the, the pandemic is something where mass burial mm, had to yes, take place. Yes. And, uh, and so you, you, you don't, in fact, think of just one vault to put all the things. In fact, uh, when uh, people had been buried here, maybe another trace would be dug somewhere to put the other people. So it's a multiple facet of the burials which have come through the pandemic. So you can go on talking about reflecting and asking yourself questions. That is what those three pieces that were put together. Three or four pieces, that's what they are meant to do to us as people who observe the creative work. Now, that piece, um, you you make it to communicate or evoke all of these ideas. Yes. Now, um, in terms of collecting or a collector, yes, um, what kind of interest in that kind of work? Straight away, I want to tell you that uh, not all artworks are collectible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some artworks are meant to be created and even blow out almost immediately. Yeah. Like people who make portraits on ice, ice blocks, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, those portraits don't lie beyond the day. And um, I have witnessed um, uh, a creation of an artwork and then it was launched up. It went like that and then it plunged into the sea almost the same day. But people watch the process. So the process of creation is important. And the effect of what happens either during the creation or immediately after the creation is also very important. They all leave lasting impressions in the mind of people who watch them. So the artwork may not be collected at all, but it still plays the role of reminding us of the beauty of our environment or things that are happening in the environment. 
or the artwork will help us contemplate or think about possible things that normally you wouldn't have thought of at all. That is what that work is. So art is essential to our contemplation of what it means it, to be human. It's part of it, yes. Contemplation. It, it helps us think. It helps us reflect. It also helps us imagine and create situations which perhaps we would not have created on our own. So those art, the artworks fulfill those, those roles. Uh, does art help us connect better with other human beings? Yes, of course. Art helps us to connect with other human beings. Because uh, if you create an idea that is important, very, very important, and that is relevant, other people will see it and it will help them appreciate the importance of the idea that has been uh, so captured. You know, there are many ways in which art helps us to connect with other human beings. Now, uh, you know very well that much of the money that goes to some of these so-called country, civilized countries yes. comes through tourism. Yeah, people, people come to see what you have done. They've come to see what you have done. People come to Nigeria to see what people have done. They've come to see how you think. How, what, what life means to you. And uh, this is art connecting with other people. And, and someone receiving the idea that the artist has created yes. can perhaps be reminded that, oh, actually, maybe I've also had... It can help them better identify yes. the fact that we're, we're similar, we're the same, and we're all subject to the same issues. Yes, yes, yes. It's yes. A, yeah, it's that. And also, it, it makes them um, also know what constitutes art? Sometimes people are vague. They are, I mean, they are, they are not. Um, they don't know what's art. But when you bring a simple thing like that to tackle a simple subject, they say, "Oh, so that is that is art." Oh, I can, I can do something like uh, this book that I I have just uh, written on change. One of the collector friend of mine who bought one of those copies from Act 21 show saw a copy that was reproduced there and he, he bought it immediately. Then I told him, I said, that is in that booklet. So he went home and read it. And I said, oh, this is something. Oh, I, he, didn't, he didn't know. But I told him that, look, this book is to ask you to write on the changes that you have observed. Wow. The changes I have observed growing up will be different from the changes that you have observed because our environment and our experiences are very different. And the way we see the world the way we see is the different. World. So, so, so that, that is uh, that's the usefulness of uh, art, reminding people of, uh, of what is in them that they don't think about. You've just mentioned the book now, and this is uh, a question that one ought to present to the great Bruce Onobrakoya whenever one has the opportunity. Yeah. You've been very, very, very committed 
to documenting your art yeah. over the years, even long before yeah. people started talking or paying lip service to the mm. needs to do that. Yeah. What was it at the beginning that made you embrace that documentation, that very, very uh, studious documentation of your work, your pieces over the decades? It's um, a kind of intuition. I, I just like making a few statements about what I have created, writing and painting. They are all art. One is trying to bring out the thought in words, but the other one I try to bring out the, the image. But um, later on, I actually found out that um, a book, an art book, is an artwork by itself. Okay. An art, an, an art book is an artwork by itself. In the night when I'm not sleeping, and I have books around me, I open these books and I am at the same time in the Metropolitan Museum in New York. I'm at the same time in the Prado Museum. I'm at the same time in the New Tate Gallery, you know, looking at, at this. You are at the so, Vatican Collection Vatican at the collection. Smithsonian. Yes. So, even while in your bedroom. Fantastic. So a book is so important, so important. And um, of course, I mean, um, if you are someone who is working, you you need the kind of something you've done before to remind you about moving forward. About your now, journey. If, if you, if, yes, if you if you create things and you. Allow them to go. They, they just, now you don't remember them anymore. But if you put them together somewhere, now you just begin to look through, and then it will help you move forward. But one thing I have found is that uh, a book that has been, and uh, the artworks that were recorded in the, or either in the sketchbook or in the, in in a book, you find that there are certain discoveries, certain things there that are very important. That I never realized. So once you go back to them and see them, they help you to move forward. That's the usefulness of it. They give you new perspectives. Give you new perspectives. Okay. Yes. What you didn't see before, yeah. you now see them again. And then it helps, of course, uh, the book help other people to know you better. And also, because our backgrounds are very different, if you can write a sentence or two sentences about what you've done. It helps other people from a different background to appreciate what you have done and uh, enjoy it better. But but you see, I will say that uh, more and more people, more and more curators, should go into helping the artists to realize that. Yeah. Because what what I'm doing now is really doing two people's job. You are you. There's someone who should. Be, Document it and present it to the public. And document even the exhibition. Yeah, the yeah. to do. But I, I, I'm trying to do that, although not doing it very well, not doing it as well as the other person. But it takes some time out of me to create something that is new. But since I found that creating a book in itself is like creating an artwork, it didn't bother me. So I had to do it. But other people in the environment, 
yeah. should go ahead and do it. Which, which in a sense also is what a podcast is about. That this recording, what you're saying here today, will be on the internet. People can listen to it on their phones and on their de other devices. And it's there for posterity. And it's a record of your consciousness yeah. on this very day. You yeah. know, for all time. I mean, what's so remarkable about your documentation of yourself, your work over the years, is because we're in a society that doesn't hold records dear. Um, and has it been uh, challenging just doing that in a society such as ours where people very easily forget what happened five years ago, ten years ago? Is that your, also your way of trying to minimize the impact of a society that forgets easily? All societies forget easily. All societies forget easily. But maybe but more are, so but, than yeah, some. But, but um, uh, we, yeah, like other societies, should put something down in a way that can always refresh our mind. You started the Hammerton Workshop, of course, 1998, thereabouts, I think. Yes. Yes. And and this came from your own experiences as a younger artist yes. going to uh, places like Haystack uh, Mountain School. And, uh, School for Arts and Crafts in the, in the U.S., yes and being part of um, workshops in Oshobo in the early 60s. Yes. And that led you to starting the Hamatan workshop. I just thought maybe you'd like to talk about that a bit. Yeah, well, it's, uh, thank you for reminding me. I always begin by saying that uh, in the art school, the lecturers are supposed to have watched the student and direct them. That they did very well in the art school in Jaria. But I was led by peer, my peers. My peers were going into sculpture and painting. And painting. As well. and painting peer as pressure. Well. Peer pressure. And I thought that painting and sculpture, rather than graphic, was the thing that can bring out an artist. And so I did painting, which was all right. I, I enjoyed painting. But it was when I left Zaria and was invited to those workshops in Oshubu and Van Rusem workshops, yeah. Uli Bayer really Uli is, Bayer is, is the big masculine behind all this. Yes. Invited me. And then, then I discovered that my, my talent was more for the graphics. And so I and now uh, I mean somehow only by I don't know how he did it, got in a, got a professor from Tilburg University to come and hold a workshop. There were about five, seven of us, late one Moji, myself, uh, Jim O'Brien, two seven seven we had no, a, no, you let me. Yes. We had a workshop and uh, that was that that just changed me that I should have done that in the school. But of course in the school we didn't have the facilities for printmaking. 
So I would have ended up just doing things for advertisement in the in the they call it the commercial section. I would have just done that rather than do proper graphic which involves printmaking, which is an art by itself. Which is a, it's a it's a major line of art as well. I wouldn't have been able to do that there in Zaria. But attending the the workshop at Oshobo uh, Ibadan Yes, 1963, 64, thereabouts, yeah. Opened me up, and I, I just decided to, uh, I, I just went up for 15, 20 years, I was just held up in graphics, and I didn't do anything else. But the other thing that uh, came into my mind was the fact that the workshop was something that catered for artists who they would not have an opportunity to attend schools, proper school, art school. And so I told myself that if I made good in the art and I wanted something to help the artists, I would institute a workshop similar to the Shubo one. And that was when the thought of creating a place like that came to my mind. We had this house here, and at the, within the late 60s and early 70s, there was a demand for people to come and have, to come and just stay, watch, study. There were many people writing their dissertations on me and so on. So, and I found that this place became too small. Yeah. The studio here became too small. Mm-hmm. That was when the idea of creating a, a separate place out of the busy town came into my mind. And I chose that Maruto and chose it as a yeah, hometown. I said, the hometown. We started building in 1990, I call about 1990. And it was only about 1998 that we were ready to do the first uh, workshop. So, really, the idea of the workshop came before 1998. I, and I, the work preparatory to the workshop started yes. years before. That's it. So that, so that was it. So the um, the Hamilton workshop, for short, is an inspiration from what only I had done and from my experience at Haystack Mountain School of Art. And the idea is to uh, now bring artists together, whether they are young, whether they are professors, whether they are just cultural engineers together. Whether they are formally trained or they are not formally trained. And then put them together to get ideas from one another and grow in the arts. You don't have to go to university before you can create an artwork that can be enjoyed. Afterwards, um, um, the people who created the great if a art, the great Benin art, the great Ubuku art, they, they are not known to have attended any university. So so that is it. So, you see, what has happened is that uh, uh, people who either were dropped out from schools or were young mothers, they now have opportunity. You, you saw that yourself. Yes. Opportunity yes. to stay. Their children are crying around and then they are learning something. Yeah. After the workshop, what they have learned now become 
something that will give them give them yes livelihood. They work and they and people make confessions all the time. They they said when they come here, the bag will open like that and then, but they learn this thing and this thing has given them this, has given them this, and they make they make they make those testaments all the time. So that is the amateur workshop. And but let me add that not only the people in the rural area, professors they go there and they they. They have something. They, yes. they, they learn something Only that they the take to the So many people. They, yeah. they take something from there, which they yeah. take to, to their own classroom. Yeah. Not only Nigerians, not only Southerners, people from the north, people from Benin Republic, people from Ghana, people from Canada has come in. America has come in. Paris has come in, and someone from Sri Lanka and so. So the place is international. Thank you. Why did you call it the Hammer Town Workshop? Hammer Town Workshop, because when we started, it was a, the place was a flood basin. And we could only really work well during the dry season, which is, of course, the Hammer Town season. So we call it the Hammer Town Workshop. Something that would take place only during the dry season. Yeah, so, but now the flood has been really chased out, and uh, we can do whatever we want any time of the year there at Hammer Wonderful. Now, uh, you mentioned Ulibaya, yes. the great masquerade of yes. that time, you yes. called him. Uh, his widow, Georgina Baya, yes. passed away recently. Well, and you know when they opened the Ulibaya uh, Center, yes. or when the archives were coming to Austria, we went the together. Boy, in 2011, we were there together, to, 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 yes. yes, and we went together with Chief uh, Yelami to Iraqi. Yes, she is a contributor to the Success of uh, the Oshumo Art Venture. She conducted many workshops. Yeah, many workshops. And uh, she's the second half of Unibaya. And part of the success which Baya has obtained in Nigeria will also be credited to her. So I wish that. Uh, uh, her soul recipes and that uh, the struggle which they began continue to be carried forward by other people. Because of your close association with the uh, Oshogo artists, yeah. some people see you as, you know, in some respects, maybe an Oshogo yes. art movement uh, affiliate or artist yourself. Yeah. Can you? Just talk a bit about your close association with the Oshobo art movement. Yes. Uh, after my after the workshop, uh, I was actually exhibiting with the with the Oshobo artists uh, whenever they had exhibition in uh, in Lagos. Here, my work should be there, and there was a, a lady and a husband. Jim Kennedy and Dick Wilford, okay. they opened up a place in Koyi. Shubu artists would come on Wednesday evening, and then on Thursday, there would be a show first for two hours only in these two people's house as well. So we were all speaking together, and I think there were a few occasions when uh, the Shubu artists were called to exhibit, and then I. I, I I participated, you know, but you know there was something that was different. 
that even may have embarrassed Ulibaya. You know, Ulibaya worked with a German philosophy that the best place to bring out the genius is not in the academies, but in the in the workshop setup. Workshop setup. And so when myself late Wanguji and Jimo uh, Akolo were invited to the workshop where Ruven Rosen was the director, um, it kind of sort of distorted his philosophy. Because here you have those of us there, and on the other side you have people who never went to art school at all. I mean, uh, Jimo was a a lighting specialist. Yes, an and electric, then, um, yes. And then... Um, With the Drew Electric Theatre Group. 377 was an entertainer. Yes. It would dance and all. So, these people are put together with people who have spent many years in there. How come? So that was a problem that Uli uh, was battling. But however, we went on. He, he gave me all the encouragement that could be given whenever the time was due. But you see, what, what then happened? I was exhibiting with the Shubo artists, particularly in the uh, Jim Kennedy's uh, outfit and, um, and some other outfit. But I started, I started hearing some talk that, well, that um, I really do not belong to the Shubo group, but I was using them to get on. I said, how come? How come? I was using... So that was when I stopped oh. exhibiting with them. Oh. That was when I stopped What's exhibiting with yeah. uh, them. You know, because really, the class was different. And uh, they did not go to the art school. And, uh, and we went to the art school. And I think Bayer also later resisted some of the Shubo people going, resisted their going to the academies to improve themselves. But um, Jiba Bremo was very stubborn. He went to uh, Abandu Bedo to do a year course, and only, I'm told, did not like that very well mm -hmm. because it deflated his philosophy. Mm -hmm. So so that was my connection yeah. with uh, the Shubo artist. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, my good friends, I, yeah, I work I with them or whatever, this, yeah. but uh, uh, exhibiting with them, mm -hmm. no, that, yeah. that stopped yeah. after yeah. that time. You've also talked about uh, the influence, I mean, in that era, immediately after independence, mm -hmm. you've talked about the couple, but also Michael Crowder around that period. Yes, Michael Crowder was uh, also a pillar. Mm -hmm. uh, Michael Crowder working with uh, Nora Machekodumi, were responsible for the independent trade fair exhibition. That in was in 1960. 1960. That was where a group of us emerged. Make our we, we emerged. After the show, there was a lot of publicity around us, and that was when we started as a contemporary Nigerian artist. So, Crowder was 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 one of the movers. You had uh, exhibited as a student in Ugeli in 1959. Yes. What was that like? It, it was fun. It was, uh, 
again uh, inspired by peer pressure. <laughs> you know, uh, Grillo has been in Lagos, has seen Olabolu, has done this and that, and um, yeah, Uche had been to Jaws, okay, okay. and, you know, and Demas Muruko has followed the father to Baden and something, and this one had done this. So I said, okay, fine, I will do this exhibition. I wanted a job that holiday, and I didn't get a job in time. And uh, so I decided that, okay, let me just have that show. And that was right. And that was that first show. So it, it kind of uh, removed the initial flag from, and, and that was it. That was nice. So really? over 60 years yes, now. Years, yes, yes. And how have you found the, your journey looking back at, you know, and what keeps you going? Well, I want to say that um, the journey has not been too smooth, you know. <laughs> but um, what keeps one going is the excitement of creativity. Once you work on something and um, after a time and you get a result that is pleasing, then that gives you, that gives you joy, that makes you want to attempt some other uh, program and then you you can you, you just leave one to the other, leave one and get to there. If you have an idea, something that stimulates you, you're working on it. Now, before that one ends and so on, something else has come and then you move again. So, it is that 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 kind of clockwork that has kept us uh, going all the time, kept me going in particular. The idea always, yes, the idea, of the possibility yes, of something. Something comes in, something comes on. The change in the times, change in ideas, things that are happening, technique-wise, or things that are happening in the society, they may be political, or a new awareness that you have uh, got. I mean, the history or the mythology of the people have either not been recorded very well, or they have been lost, or something like that. So, all those assignments coming one after the other keep on going. So, it's you you lose the count of time, and so that, that's it. Sitting where you are now, yes. the Nigerian art scene today, yeah. is it where you thought we would be now? And, and also, what are your impressions about the visual art scene in Nigeria today? Well, uh, I, I want to tell you... Is it at all what you expected? I want to tell you straight away that... I never expected anything. We went to school and uh, universities never existed at that, at that time. And uh, even art as a subject had broken down in the society. With the coming of the colonial people and so on, uh, art, art per se, was not now regarded as a, a subject which commands our attention and uh, of which, respect. Yeah, respect. So, so that was uh, that was that time. But um, we found ourselves in it and, and tried as much as possible to convince ourselves and convince the people around us that art was important. And then we put all our ideas into it and uh, talked about it like disciples. And so that's where we are today. So from art not being a respectable subject, from the artist not being respected in the society, we grew gradually to give respect 
to the arts and to make artists very respectable. So we are growing every day. If you are an artist and you are employed by the government, you have this fix, you have the salary, you are treated with respect. But if you're talking about respect, you find that uh, um, artists can come from a university or higher institution and do not really need to apply for any job. I mean, they, they can employ themselves. And those of them who have been in the air for some time are able to employ other people and, uh, and take them out of uh, changing around for jobs and so on. So art became a very, very respectable thing. And uh, i tell you one story about uh, artists. You know, we, uh, we, we were in Agbaruto, and then we went to a small village to get ideas for pottery and so on and so forth. And then we, 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 we drove in, in a convoy. And then um, the people, for whatever we wanted to buy, were so highly inflated and so on and so forth. So we said, look, we are workshop, we don't. They said, hmm, you don't have money, look at the cars that that brought you in. And that was true. At that time, if you went to the Avatar workshop, the entire common was filled with uh, four-wheel drive, expensive cars and so on. Professors, this, that, 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 that. And so they had a very, very high image of uh, who the artists are. So that is it. So over the years, we brought some respect. Some respect came to the artists. And then we are today. In those days, some people would refuse to allow the children to go and study hard. But that is different. If, you, if, you, if you're a child, shows any talent towards, shows any inkling towards art as a, as a listen. You just say, okay, go. You say, you know, you want to go to the other college? So, go. You want to do this? Go. Yeah. But in those days, no. I, I really could quote a Shida word. Uh, his father told him that uh, you want to go to Zaya to study at Zaya, yes. Want to go? Say, well, we need, we, we need your brain to be examined. And the late day was to run away from their, from their house because the, the sister would not pay for his uh, going to Zaya. He had gone some way down like that with the spot battle the father bought for him. Like, uh, so he said, oh, I'm calling. So he, he called him, and that was how he got funded for good. So art has passed through that now. Now, if you have a son or a daughter and they want to study art, he said, okay, look, provided you're convinced that uh, you can make a living out of it and you can make a difference in the society. So that is. Uh, Thinking closer to more recent times, there was the uh, Zaria Art Society Legacy Exhibition organized by Art House Contemporary in 2019 uh, with yourself and your colleagues, Emerson Woko and uh, Yusuf Gulo and so on. That exhibition was amazing, obviously, but it also came under some criticism mm -hmm. for being held in a car showroom. And I remember you defended the organizers quite vigorously. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, would you you would agree that we do need a fitting institution in this country where canonical Nigerian art can be displayed in a way that is 
yeah, that is befitting, yeah. even more befitting, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. And, I mean, and, and what, it, what is getting in the way of that, in your view? Yeah, there's no doubt about uh, the befitting environment. We have cried for that many years. I would been, we're still crying, we're still asking the government to build us befitting galleries where we can share our works. But beyond that, those galleries will will hold together our best works, which will attract foreigners from outside, and that will be a source of income to the uh, to the country. So that, being as it may, does not take away from the fact that in the traditional society, where we have something good to show, like you have a bride, you have a bride, a bride undergoing the uh, the <clears throat> uh, ceremony for seven days. The bride will be dressed up very well with all the uh, ornaments and all these things. The mother will also dress up and then the husband will also have um, an appearance too. And they go to the marketplace. Something that is cool, something that you have to show, you show it in the marketplace most of the time. That is a canon in the traditional society. You don't take it to a golden palace. So why must we not show our art in the marketplace? Why must we not? There was a time <clears throat> when the trade fair, the Lagos trade fair, uh, started. I had up to about six, seven sessions. In fact, every year they would keep my place there, my signboards and from Balewa Square, the road to my two, Badagri Road, that's all, were showing. And in fact, that first trade fair which brought us out, our generation out, it was in the present Bonnie camp. It was after the trade fair that the soldiers took over that place as well. So, the question is, why can't we show our art in the marketplace? While we agree that um, for the uh, Novrish, for the allies, for all kind of people should have a special place where they will uh, see the art as well, nobody should dispute the fact that um, wherever you are, whoever you are, create art around yourself. They used to say, move away from Mushi, go to Victoria Island, then you see the rich people, and they will buy your art as well. I said, art is not really for buying. Art is something for living. You want to live and enjoy with it. It's not just for buying. Sometimes the money, the monetary aspect of art is not the most important thing. You see people do art and launch it into the ocean and so on. So it's not the monetary part of it. But art is something that sends a message to you that touches you spiritually. And nourishes your soul. And nourishes your soul. So so you can be anywhere. And elevates our reality. You can be anywhere. So art shouldn't be that. Because we're in Lagos. Lagos is a a modern city. And therefore there's art there. Or you're in London or you're in Paris. Wherever you are. In your village. In your village. In your village. If, it, if there is a shrine that was done 
before. That when we were growing up, were, yeah, as you move from one village to the other, there was always an important shrine that you can see along the streets, uh, along the main streets and so on and so on. But all those things are, they, they are all dying and so on. When I wanted to do the hammer tower show, they said, okay, put it in Lagos because people would say, I'm taking it to the, I'm taking it to Alvaro Top. Yeah, so that the people there, that will do many things. When the people there would see something that they like, something that will help them develop their own personality. It will help them develop their own personality. Now, the people in Agbarotor, the girls were shy before, they couldn't come out and do what. But nowadays, you go to Agbarotor, they will do their tra- traditional dances, they will give out their folklore, they will do this. That is the value of art. Value of art. In a, in a rural place, the art is there to help the people develop their personality, to give them identity. Why would you take that art and take itself. it to the town, which sometimes is a metropolitan that does not have any character to any one single group of people? So, but if you go to these small places, this one, there's a character there. There's something there that makes them unique. Put the act there to express that thing and make it more enjoyable by the people there. That will create their consciousness and create their love to repair that place and make it the center of the world. Yeah. That is art. Yeah. Therefore, the show, the Zaria show, could have taken place in Tafal Balewa Square. They have taken, taken place in the Trade Fair along Badagri Road. Could have taken place in Mushi. It could have taken place anywhere. No regrets. Wonderful. <laughs> now you're you're someone who believes that a painting is not necessarily something that is on a conventional canvas and that you can paint. We saw evidence of that in your last exhibition facade with works produced on dictilinin triptylinin canvas and so on. Can you share a bit uh, on how you invented these modes of presentation? The invention it comes through um, trying to to solve a problem. You have an idea you want an easy way to create the format that can bring out that idea without your laboring too much to create a new a new space, a new drawing, a new this. You, you know, you have those problems, you want to be able to solve that. So the triptylinen and triptylinen is one of the ways I developed to, to help make it easy for me to re-examine artworks that I've created, to make it possible for me to add new ideas to the old idea and make it possible for me to, uh, uh, from a small sketch, go into a larger sketch. Something that can make it possible even to have a limited edition of a painting rather than just one of it. There's always slight differences that if you have two prints, for instance, that come from the same one is different. So, something that can give you that with, with painting behind your mind, 
is the triptylinen and the and the diptylinen. The triptylinen uh, is trips triptych. There's three three layers. Three, three layers. One layer, the canvas, and then in between the drawing, which is on paper, and then outside it is a screen, which which holds onto the paper and makes it impossible for it to be torn, to keep it away from the air and so on. And then the paper itself, which is now protected behind it with the canvas. So the material itself is stronger than the ordinary canvas. The ordinary canvas is just one, but the chip engineer has three layers and they are put together just to produce one thing. So that is it. So but the idea of using it to creating something that will make it easy for you to re-examine an idea that you have uh, that, 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 that you have that you that seeks improvement, that is where the triptylinen and the dictylinen come in. Triptylinen three three layers, dictylinen two layers. So that that is uh, that is that is where it comes in. You had also in that exhibition singular works that were produced over long periods of time, yes. even decades. Yes. Yes. So what, yes. what's going on there? Well, the work that there are some works that were done that were produced in um, 1962. There are some yes. paintings. Yes, yeah. they, they were done. Even some of the works that I I did during even within the art school time. Yeah, yeah there, there, were there, were, there were those you, that uh, were not completed. Uh, they were completed over a ten-year period, yes. twenty-year period. Yes, so some of them were, but yeah. there were a few of them that were completed about it. They were small yeah. each and then yeah. they're there in the exhibition. Those things are there. They're, we created them, they are there, and now they become very valuable because uh, time and the subject they were dealing with is also different. Uh, and so it's good to put such things side by side with new, new ideas. Now, the importance of uh, adding those works down to the, bringing those works to the exhibition is the fact that uh, as an artist, you want to struggle to become a contemporary. It's also possible that uh, you are just a temporary. <laughs> so if I had developed those pages at that time, and I never moved away from the subject, which was maybe the mythology or the northern landscape. If I never moved from those ones, and I am in the 21st century, the first quarter of the 21st century, and I'm still working on those subjects, then really I can be described as a temp- as a as a temporary. But if we did that and that period was over and you move to another period, something else comes in, either style, technology, innovation and so on comes in, and then you move out of that one, something else comes in, something that's happening in the nature, uh, a new trend, a new decision, you are into it, and then again that's exhausted, you move again. So that has, this, that's how the journey has been. So um, I strive to be a contemporary artist, not a temporary artist. <laughs> and that is usually very difficult yeah. to become 
a contemporary rather than being a temporary, a temporary artist. It raises the question, though, when you have uh, works uh, from, say, 1963 to, 19, to 2003, take yeah. it, it raises the question, when is a piece of, a work of art finished? When is it completed? Well, that, that, that's a, that is a big question. You, you see, um, that is where the triptilinear and the deep linear effect now comes in. Rather than say you take that old canvas and you rework it, you can take the, that image, expand it, or contrast it, and work on it. You know, so that continuous, that is, that continuous engagement, re yeah. re-examination and engagement. That is what is meant by an artwork not to be ever finished. Because uh, um, it's like you see something as a child. Now you have your child's impression and it registers something. And then you grow up and say, oh, you saw this as a child. Well, perhaps you're still seeing the same thing. I, should, I, should, I could do it this way. But, it, but you now leave that now and then you do it again the way it should, the way you see it now. But even then, you move forward, you become older, and you see, see that look at that something. It has a different meaning to you. It's like reading a book. You read a book the first time, you understand it to mean this. Then you read again and read again. And each time you read, you have a new meaning. A new illuminations. Yeah. That is how mm -hmm. revisiting of artwork yeah. is. And uh, but in revisiting that work, you don't need to destroy the old one, yeah. but you can now find a mechanism that will, will now make you move forward and expand your idea of that artwork. That is where this innovation of triplinear and diplinear canvases come in. You don't seem too bothered about rarity in art. Instead, you produce in relatively high volumes so that they will go round, as you have explained before. Is this your own attempt at a, a greater democratization of your art for greater accessibility? I think that's the word. Greater. greater. And how do you respond greater. to your critics who say that there's this? that you have um, sometimes that you have uh, relatively higher volumes than maybe other Well, the, the thing is that uh, that things should be more rare. The, the thing is that uh, the honeybee the job is to produce new bees. <laughs> the queen bee is not concerned how many, how many bees are produced but produces new bees. Out of that come the soldiers, the workers, and so on. Well, that's, that's the role of art. I mean, uh, you have used the word democracy. Yes, democratization yes. of uh, art. Yes. yes. Uh, I'm not aware of the fact that I'm producing that. Too. In fact, I'm not producing enough. When does one produce too much? We have about the population of the world today is going to. 
10 million. So, in the lifetime of Christ, because he was very prolific. But I think he went as far as about uh, 4,000 paintings or there about a little more than that. So, those 4,000, you look at the world, this thing is it's, uh, a drop so much. A drop in the ocean. Not enough. Because I should have done double that work in this. Double that amount of this in his, in his lifetime. Um, so the question of restricting yourself for one reason or the other should not even come to the life of the artist. When it comes to the life of the artist, you know that that artist is now being put under the influence of capitalism. Now, because he has produced one, and because he wants the value of that one to be so much, he will not produce anything yet. Yeah, and, and he will maybe, not... maybe the collectors also want to. No, no, no. It, yes, capitalism in in the fact that it's not even the one driving the engine of capitalism. It's the collectors who are now saying, who 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 are saying, now you produce this one work, okay? You better retire and don't produce anything anymore so that that work now can be several billions. That's the collector's philosophy. You produce one, don't produce anything again. That, and that is such capitalism. Well, once that goes into the mind of an artist, it's a plague. It's a plague that will destroy whatever observation, whatever something that is salient that is within, that is coming out, that is within the subconscious, that is within the environment, that's the plate that will destroy it. Leave, your hand, leave yourself free. When inspiration comes, put it down. If you can develop it, develop it, and then just go ahead. That is me, and that is what I think should be the role of a true artist. And you leave the rest of posterity. You've said before that when a priest puts together the items in his shrine. Yes. It's an aesthetic. Yeah. It's yeah. an expression of... Yes. Uh -huh. Aesthetic. Yes. As well as, well as spiritual. Mm -hmm. Yes. 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 Yeah. Uh, I just thought um, maybe you might say a word or two about your exploration of the aesthetics, the, the shrine aesthetics, let's say in some of your installations, for instance. Well, um, yeah, I want to say straight away that... Um, because we were we were born in the Delta area where the shrine art is the primary, is the highest development of art that uh, we have the obligation to really show the shrine, which in the modern way, the modern concept, we call the solution. We have the right to bring it out. Now, this is uh, the solution, this the idea of using a lot of, or bringing out a lot of objects now, um, putting them together to make a statement about something. You know? And then um, what is very important about that is this, that uh, the collection, the collection, there are many objects. These objects, um, these objects relate to one another and create a magic. 
that is now very attractive and can produce some kind of beauty that we always find in installation. So, so that is it. So, first, we born in the area and who lived through the area, uh, lived lived through the time when uh, these installations were used. Yes, when when these installations were used to talk to our gods, Mm -hmm. to express our beauty, to make statement about um, who we are and so on and and how we see the world. How we see the world. We have an obligation. We have an obligation to really tell the world about them. And the best way of telling the world is to borrow that idea and create installations and let those installations bring out the beauty of our environment. They help us to tell our story. So that is what these shrines or installations is doing for me. Your exploration of um, myths, folklore, Urobo uh, culture, Yoruba myths sometimes. Can you talk about um, what, how you think art should regard culture? Well, the, should art be a carrier of culture? Because we are in an environment where writing, writing has come a little late. What we have recorded as folklore or what we have regarded art created become very, very important because it now become something that we can re-examine to tell us some of the things we do not even know that had happened in the past. The folklore it comes in recorded music, it comes in recorded scenes, it comes in recorded even artwork. It helps us to bring out things that relate to our culture, which are forgotten. And uh, once they are done like that, even our attempt to bring them, to bring them such things, well, well, to bring them out, actually try to dig them out from the subcultures. They're there. Those things are there in you. But when you play around and try to bring things, those things which are, they rub onto what you're doing. And then, before you know it, the past which is forgotten becomes revealed. So, uh, we have obligation to really go as far back as possible to tell our own story. And if by doodles, going into art, that can be the way to uh, bring out what is what laid buried in us. They are there. Those things are in our blood, in our gene. If they can bring them out, then art would have performed a very, very good service to us as human beings. Which takes us to art as uh, storytelling. Yes. I'm very interested in the intertextuality between your art yes. and great works of Nigerian literature. Your exploration of, uh, I mean, aside from the books that you, your art has been, you know, illustration for, yeah. 
where you've explored um, themes mm. that are evocative of Geofagua's mm. works, mm. Amos Tutuola, mm. and so on and so forth. What fascinates you about those authors? Really, fascination comes from the fact that uh, they talk about the other part of life that we don't see. They take our imagination beyond our present self and environment. And they also bring out our concept of what had gone before, of the longings. The thought about the people, the expectations, and the, what the people thought thought the world was like, and uh, so, so it brings it out again. It takes us back to try to the fact that it is helping us to rebuild us as human beings to tell the story of our past and also to. Uh, let us know more about who we are. Thank you. I'm quoting you now. Yes. The inside of an engine is beautiful. Yes. You once said. Yes. How did you become interested in working with engines to create objects of beauty? Well, simple. As a young man, I own car, cars and uh, I used to be fascinated when the mechanic opened the engine and uh, started with this and then. And so, that is on the one hand. But as a child, I saw on the gable end of a building, of a mud building, a clock that was abandoned. A clock. I saw the intricacy, the circles, and the um, the circles and the way they are put one to the other, walking, walking, some smaller, some bigger, and so on. And I saw it was open like that, discarded. I wanted it, I wanted it, but it was far away, I couldn't reach it. And the bigger boys in the group, they dragged me away. I was crying, and they dragged me away. I didn't have it. But the impression was never lost. So as I grew up, I mean, Anything about engines intrigues me. Perhaps I, maybe if uh, I had um, studied science, I, I probably would become an engineer, an automobile engineer sometimes, but, or, or any engineer that could be involved with um, delicate engine, working engines, such as the, the hand watch or the wristwatch or the clock. So that was there. But... But later, as time goes on, uh, that that thing keeps bringing itself back. And uh, recently, well, recently two, three, four, five years, and yes. so on and so on, um, I have stayed here, and uh, so this new car parts and this uh, started uh, showing on the same day. They be thrown away. They are using. They trade them away. So, and, and I said, these things are piece of sculptures, piece of sculptures, mm. and uh, they be thrown away. Mm. If an artist were to spend their time to create a film like this, he probably would spend several 
years created that form and he hasn't gotten it yet. But here, this is a form that has been created and it's been thrown away. Now, what can I do with it? So that was when assembly them yeah. came to my mind and uh, I started putting them together. And I, I found them very, very excited. And I, I just sometimes tell myself that if the, the makers of the great within art or the Ife art or the Bifu art or if they not art had encountered this form and then at their own time what they would have created would have been very different from what they said. So I said, well, these are things that have come to us in our generation. Why don't we use them? But by, beyond that, these forms are very beautiful. Yeah. They have all the elements of, of art. Circle, squares, rhombos, all yeah. that kind of this is, you know, and, and, and the forms, the forms are there. And, you know, uh, forms, the forms are there, and the shapes are there, you know, uh, uh, and, and so I started to assemble them, and that is what constitutes uh, my series, which I now call The Beauty of Machine. That machine, when you expose it, ordinarily they close them up. The watch is closed up, the car is closed up. The washing machine is closed up and all this. But it's see. when they are discarded yes. and they, you open them up, that the real beauty of those mechanical things yeah. come out and you enjoy them. So that now became a branch or a line of art which I have exploited, uh, which is on that now place on the title of uh, the, the, beauty beauty of of the beauty of machine. The beauty of machine. But I will remember that. How do you stay fit? How do you relax? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, maybe I don't relax at all. And, uh, I don't even stay fit. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but, but I, I just... I remember you uh, jogging in the morning in Agoroto. Well, yes. I still do a bit of that. I still do a bit of that now. I still do it. So that's, that's part of it. But... But, but, but you see, um, if the mind keep walking, then um, you don't feel tired. It's only when it's only when you are bored that you feel really tired. Perhaps also because uh, what you do is something you enjoy immensely. So it feels does it feel like a hobby? Yes, that's it. Yes, that's it. Walk, walk. The way they put it is uh, now walk because play. Yes. Work cosplay. And that's so that's that's it. It keeps you up. So you're not aware that you're working because to work is like playing. Yeah. Like a child. Yeah. So I used to tell people that uh, as an artist you should not grow out of your childhood. Hmm. Don't grow out of your childhood. Go the childhood, see something, is very excited and is working with it and all that and all that. Then when it's right, they satisfied, he discuss it and runs away, and something that catches his attention as well. So that that's how the artist you you you, you is excitable. He sees something that's new, and then um, he he examines it, he plays with it, does this. When he's tired with it, puts it aside. But before that is done, something else has caught his attention. So that is that is it. I think I think that's it. So really. This is a natural rule. When you work, 
gives you the same pleasure as uh, play, then one can never get tired. How do you hope future generations view your work? Well, uh, that's what we're doing now. We are preparing materials for the future generation. They will look at this thing now. <laughs> and whatever I've said now, these are the materials for future generation. But um, uh, the future generation people will, will um, see the works that have survived. And they make up their mind about it. But what is, uh, what is really very important is that uh, your own generation, your own generation, does not give you the best appraisal. It's the people who were born later that will now, nothing will obstruct them at all. They will judge you and, and judge you right. Where you blundered, what is good about you, what is that future generation that, that we're doing. What we're doing, we live in pity of ourselves here and there. You can see that work, collectible by. So that in itself, the people will look at all that, and perhaps the name is not forgotten, they will link that name to that one. So they will remember us as someone who created something at one time or the other that has created uh, opportunity for people to reflect on their life and uh, on their time and their life reflect on nature, reflect on several concepts, good and bad, the earth, the heaven, uh, the spiritual world. And, but by and large, I think uh, the future generation will look and see that uh, this is man who are lived within this period, like the life of every baby. Like you are imprisoned in a particular time and space. And so, whatever you've done can be compared with what has come before or what has come after. So, so that's it. But I want the future generation to look at me as a, as a human being. <laughs> as a human being. With all, with all my failures and with uh, pieces of things that make me happy, like every other human beings and so on, I want them to look at me as something, as an observer who sees things in nature and so on, and uh, help them to think about life. Um, I want them to look at me as a teacher, as a teacher, and then I want them to learn to treasure, build on the environment they meet. You are a black man and you are born in this environment. I, I don't think you should pay anybody to think that oh you should be white or this not as a purpose of creating you that and uh, be the best of what you 
and the situation you find yourself. Make the best of it as well. And then um, I want the future generation to um, look at me as someone who is thankful for the life and thankful for the, for the life God has given to him and uh, who prayed from day to day to make the best use of uh, the time that God has given to him. So these are my prayers and these are the ways I want the future to look at me. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Thank, Thank you, you for your time. Thank you. Papa Bruce, <coughs> Thank you for talking to Art for the People podcast. It's, uh, it's an honor. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir, for giving so generously of your time. Yes. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Art for the People podcast with Bruce Onobrakpeya at 89. This episode was recorded at the Artist Studio in Lagos. Exalted Ima Isong is our producer. Music is by Edauto. And I'm your host, Molora Wood. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a comment. Give us a rating on iTunes if that's where you listen. Share the podcast with your friends. Follow us on social media, including our YouTube channel, where a video of this podcast will be dropping soon. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening. Eja bara wa si, eja bara wa ya yo, eja bara ni sojo, eja yare.